0: We're in James chapter 2. We're going to be in the second part of James chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 26. Because we believe that this is God's word. Uh, communicated through uh, James. Use James uh, uh, Talents use James' way of speaking, and yet God, through His Holy Spirit, guided him in such a way that these words are God's words. And so, out of respect and honor for God's word, as we read this, I would ask you if you can, please stand together with us. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds." Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that... His faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not faith alone. In the same way... Was not even Rahab, prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Was the body, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead? Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Now. In a couple of weeks, not this coming week, but the next week, um, we'll be remembering uh, Halloween, right? Of course, next week we're going to talk about it and say, well, we're we're not remembering Halloween, we're remembering Reformation Day. But, when I was young, I hadn't heard of Reformation Day. I had heard of Halloween, and I always liked it because you could go trick-or-treating, trick-or-treat, as I got a little older, um, my latter years in elementary school, um, I remember we liked to trick one another. It was a trick you, you could play on your, your buddies. You know, you would buy the pack of gum, it had five sticks in it, right? And you would take the first one out and you'd pop the stick in your mouth and you would take the wrapper and carefully put it back in, you know, fold the little envelope and stick it back in that other one. And then you'd offer your friend a piece of gum. You know, a piece of gum, he'd take it. And there was, there was nothing to it, nothing in it. The wrapping was there. It was saying that there was something there, but it really wasn't. Well, James is writing this letter um, to tell us what being a real Christian is like. A real Christian isn't one that has false advertising on the outside and saying that there's something on the inside when there's really not. It's interesting how many people uh, people in America uh, claim to be Christians. wasn't so long ago that something like 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. And I just wonder what kind of effect does that have on their lives? If 80% of our nation is Christians, why are we in such a uh, place that we are? Why is there so much violence? Why is there so much turmoil? Why are there abortions? Why are those going around saying that we have the right to marry whoever or whatever we want to? It it seems that a great deal of of Americans go to church regularly. I wonder what kind of effect does it have on their lives? Maybe this morning you go to church regularly. Most of you do. I see you here every Sunday. And, And so there's a question for you and for me as we look at this passage. What effect does our faith have on our lives? Uh, James tells us that real Christianity makes a difference in the way that we live. And so this morning, I want us to look at it. You see the outline in your bullets, and we have four uh, major points. The first one we take from, um, the first one we're going to take from, What what verse is it? Verse 24. Um, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Throughout the, the history of the church, there have been many who have questioned whether James ought to be actually included in the canon. Martin Luther was one of those. Especially early on, he didn't believe that James should be considered a book of the Bible. He says it was good and a good teaching... It doesn't talk a whole lot about God's grace and about Jesus and the work that he's done for us. And so he, he looked at that, and then he looked at passages like verse 24 here, and he says, hmm, doesn't seem to be saying the same thing that Paul says. And he was saying, it seems to contradict what Paul says here. Where he says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Martin Luther would go and read passages like Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, where we read these words. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, not to the one who works, His wages are now to the one who works, his wages are count not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Or another passage from Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which we all know as good Presbyterians, right? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. As we read the book of Galatians, it would seem that Paul has been followed up in Galatia and the churches there, and he he, he had been there and taught them that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone and the work of Christ alone and it wasn't your work at all and that when we stand before God He must see us perfect and the only way that He can see us perfect is in the righteousness of Christ which He has given to us. He had imputed it into our account and He looks at the books and he, He looks at us and He opens it up and He sees Christ's righteousness and not mine and He says, You are righteous. Look at this. There's Christ's righteousness all over you. That's perfect righteousness. And Paul is continually saying, this is why God can look at us and judge us and say, you are just. You are righteous. And he's saying, that's not any of your work because all of your works are unrighteous. Even as Isaiah would say, all of our righteousness is filthy rags in God's sight, right? And that's what Paul is saying. You, you You are justified by faith alone. Faith alone in the work that God has done for you in Christ alone. And then we come and compare that to verse 24 here. Verse 24, you see that a person is not justified by what he does. And uh, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. It seems like James is saying quite the opposite of what Paul is saying. What are we we to make of this? The question is, is, are James and Paul at odds? Is Scripture contradicting itself here? I don't think so. And I don't think that James quite means it like some would take it here. I believe that James himself recognizes that salvation is by grace through faith and it's not our works. Look with me back to James chapter 1 verse 18. James 1.18, he, speaking of God, said, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. He chose us. What was the basis of his choosing? Not looking down through history and and seeing if we were going to do good or not do good. He knew that we wouldn't. James knew that we must be chosen and that the only way for salvation was through the work of Christ and, and our own. And so he's able to say, he chose us. It's not us choosing him. He chose us. But secondly, so I think James definitely recognizes what Paul later would say in Romans uh, 4 and Ephesians 2 and throughout the book of Galatians. But I want you to notice that Paul, the apostle, is aware that uh, some might understand his teaching as justification uh, justification by faith alone is a license to sin. And that's not what Paul is saying. Romans chapter 6, after Paul has made it so clear that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, In the work of Christ alone and not our work at all, that is how we're justified, the only way we can be justified. And so someone might say, well, great, that means I can do anything I want and live any way I want to. What does Paul say about that? Romans chapter 6, right after he's saying this, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? We've got grace. And so we can just go on sinning, and, and make grace even even greater. And Paul responds to this question. He says, "By no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer?" Or even the famous passage, the well-known passage that we always already quoted from Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We see Paul. Right after saying it is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves not as a result of works lest any man should boast the very next verse Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, you're saved by grace but you know what? That, that, that salvation by grace and, and faith alone it always results in works, Paul would say. Titus one sixteen. Paul, uh, get it here. Titus one sixteen it says Paul's talking about some. He says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They claim to have faith, He's saying, but look at what they do. It's denying God, and they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit uh, for doing anything good. Or Galatians chapter five verse six. again from Paul. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It doesn't seem that Paul and James are contradicting one another. John Piper said this, if you ask them, talking about Paul and James, he says, if you ask them, does justification as an ongoing and final right standing with God depend on works of love? And Paul is going to say, no. If by works you mean deeds done to show that you deserve God's ongoing blessing... And James is going to say, yes, if by works you mean the fruit and evidence of faith, like Abraham's obedience on Mount Moriah. And Paul's going to say, I agree with James based on his definitions. And James is going to say, I agree with Paul based on his definitions. So faith alone, well, faith alone is the instrumental cause of our salvation, not a work of of ours in any way. It is the basis on which God justifies us, but it doesn't stop there. We continue to do the good, we, we begin or are able to begin doing the good works that God has for us to do. And Paul's going to agree with James that it is always evidenced in your life by works. It doesn't add to your justification at all, but it is always evidence of your works. James goes on, second point here. He talks about the value of non-working faith. Verse 14, what good is it? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, uh, If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, uh, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accom- accompanied by action, is dead. You notice the adjectives Paul uses for uh, non working faith here in verses 17, and, and he says it's dead which we just read again in verse 26. He says, so faith without deeds is dead. In verse 20, he says, it is useless. The faith without deeds is useless, he says. A a faith that is without works is dead and useless. This past week, I've heard some examples of uh, individuals who need batteries to start their uh, tractor in one case and a car in another. You go out and uh, you, you go out to, to get in your car, get on your tractor and go do something, you turn the key and nothing, absolutely nothing. You go, that useless battery, it's dead. <laughs> it's no good to you at all at this point, is it? That's the way James describes a faith, without works. It is nothing. The Reformers, when they were talking about saving faith, they said that there are three aspects to saving faith. The first one is that you have to have an an understanding about what's being said. You have to understand that in Christianity we say that you are a sinner and That you need forgiveness and the only forgiveness that there can be is through the work of Christ. You have to understand that that is what's being said. That you have to trust in Christ. A second aspect of of reform. So the first aspect of reforming faith, you have to be able to understand it. Secondly, you have to acknowledge that it's true. You would say, yes, I know that that's what's being said and I believe it. I don't believe that I'm good enough. I believe it is only through Jesus. But there's a third aspect of saving faith, according to the reformers, and that is when we put our trust in that. Because you see, uh, as James mentions here, about uh, Satan says, "You believe there's one God, good. Even, even the devil believes that, right? So you say, I can recite the Apostles' Creed. That's what I believe. Well, I think even Satan can do that, right? He knows that it's true." What is he trusting in it? There's a There was a man several years ago, I believe it was in the earliest part of the 20th century, his last name was Blondin. And he was one of the greatest tightrope walkers of all time. He uh, went to Niagara Falls, stretched a, a, a rope across Niagara Falls, and, and he walked across, came back, and there's a big crowd there cheering and everything. He says, that's great. He pulls up a wheelbarrow, puts it on the on the rope says, how many of you think I can go across with this? And they're like, yeah. You know. He goes across with a wheelbarrow and turns around and comes back and they're just loving it. And at this point, Blondin says, how many of you think that I could carry a person in this wheelbarrow across and back? And they're all, yeah, yeah, see when well, you can do it. He says, okay, who's my first volunteer? Makes a difference, doesn't it? There was no volunteers at this point. Yeah, I believe you can do it, but uh, I'm not putting that much trust in you. When we say that we believe in Christ's work alone for salvation, we're putting our trust absolutely in Him. And in putting our trust in Him, we say, you know what's best, you know what's right, you know what I need to be doing, and I can trust that. And so that's what I will do. In Matthew chapter 7 Jesus speaks of, of people who would believe in him and, and have works uh, or, or believe, you know, in all the, all the truth of the matter. But listen to what he says in, in Matthew 7, 21. Talking about the last judgment, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. (laughs) Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's what James is saying. That's what Paul was saying. And so this morning, we we think of so many politicians who, in an effort to get the Christian vote, would say, yes, I'm, I'm religious, I'm a Christian, I'm faithful to my church. But in order to get the votes of those who might not like Christianity, he would say, but I'm not going to let my religious faith affect the way that I rule. I think we would have to claim their faith as a dead faith. If it's not going to affect the way you live, it's of no value. For those who refuse to let their Christianity affect their lives... We must claim that their faith is dead. It's of no use. It is not a saving faith. How many people in the world do you know who haven't darkened the door of a church in and, and years and years and they go out and just live a, a lifestyle that is totally foreign to Christianity and they say, yes, I believe. I've got my Bible here. Look, on the, I, I've got it written down here on the last page the day that I prayed to receive the Lord. I believe. Would have to look at that and say that faith is of no use whatsoever. There's no value in faith that is not working, and that's what James is saying here. He gives some examples of non working faith in verses 15 through 17. He says, uh, um, Suppose, brother, or sister, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. James is telling us that it's a fallacy to think that we can have saving faith that can exist without resulting in works. Again, when Jesus is talking about the last judgment in in Matthew 25, remember what he says about those who come, and he turns to those on his right and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Come in and enjoy the paradise that's prepared for you. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was uh, naked and without clothes and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came and you visited me. And they're going to say, well, when did we do all this? And he says, you've done it to the least of these brethren of mine. You've done it to me. (laughs) It's an example of working faith. And then Jesus would turn to the others and say, you didn't do it. And they say, when didn't we do it? And he says, when you didn't do it to the least of these brothers of mine. John Stevenson, who's a PCA pastor down in Florida, said, this is not a salvation by works. But it is a judgment of works. Your works are described here as a manifestation of your faith. How you treat others is a sign of how you feel about Jesus. (laughs) If something is really going on inside, there will be a resulting effect on the outside. Right knowledge is not saving faith. Even the demons have right knowledge. They could certainly recite the Apostles' Creed, but there is no salvation there. Then uh, James goes on. Not only does he tell us us that uh, a faith without works is dead, and that it has no value, and he gives us an example here of how that would happen, you just tell somebody, uh, be blessed, be warm, and be filled, and, and, but you don't do anything that's not helping. And then he gives an exa- a couple of examples of working faith. In verses 21 through 23, he says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. It's interesting here that when Paul is talking about uh, salvation without works, but salvation is based on faith alone and Christ alone, who does he use as an example? Is his prime example. Abraham. Where does he quote? He quotes from Genesis chapter fifteen. Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. When James wants to show you that faith, by itself, if it's if works are not a result of the faith, it's dead and useless. Who does he use as an example? He uses Abraham. And where does he quote from? Genesis chapter fifteen. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's the same, the same illustration and the same passage as Paul. But he goes on, James goes on here, and he starts with uh, the, the, uh, an event that happened actually 25 years after the event of Genesis 15. In Genesis 22, we see the event where he has taken... Uh, God tells him to take his son, Isaac, and sacrifices him, and he goes to the altar to do it. And he says, you see? You see, he had faith, and he was showing it by his actions. He was showing it in his obedience. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, 25 years before that event, but that event just shows that there was true believing faith. He goes on and he talks about, um, he gives one more illustration. Verse 25, he says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Rahab the harlot she, detected the spies. She knew that God was in control. She's one of only two women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. (laughs) She uh, married the great-grandfather of Boaz who was the great-grandfather of David. And her actions here proved her faith and trusting and knowing that God was in charge and He was in control and He would do what was right and He could be always trusted. Vast difference between someone who would say, Yes, I have faith, but I can't allow myself to get in that wheelbarrow, right? I can't allow myself to trust in God's works, I got to do it myself. James is not saying we're trusting in our works for salvation. He's saying that if there is true faith there, salvation is working itself out in us. If we say we have faith, but it's not working its way out. It's a useless, dead car battery. Several years ago, there was a, a Wendy's commercial on television. Uh, some of you may not be old enough to remember it even. It was a long time ago but there was this, this little lady and she takes a, a bite of a hamburger and she says where's the beef? Remember that? There was no beef in that burger. There was nothing there. You call it a burger but there is no burger in the burger. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead. You believe that he's alive today and will come back to receive his own. Do you Trust Him alone for salvation. If that's you, I ask, where's the beef in your life? If it's true that there is a faith in you, what difference is it making in your life? You see, if there's truly faith in trusting Him, it affects the way you talk. It affects the way you spend your money. It affects your attitude towards others. It affects your desire to worship. Might I say, if you are truly putting your faith in Christ, you become a new creature. The old is gone and the new is come and it has changed you radically and drastically and completely. And if there's truly that faith in your life, you will see the effects of it. That's what James is telling us here. That's what Paul tells us. And that is what faith alone does for us. It changes our lives in dramatic ways. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, as we've seen in your word, uh, what can be a, a difficult passage and has been a difficult passage for many in the past, help us to see, Lord, that your word is not contradicting Paul is not contradicting James. James is not contradicting Paul, but they're saying the same thing. The true faith, true faith in the work of Christ so affects our life that it changes the way that we live, which is evidence in our lives. Lord I pray this morning, as we've seen this, that we would see that true faith in our lives certainly affects every aspect of our lives, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we think, the way, the, the, the places we go, uh, even the money that we spend. Lord, I pray this morning that your Spirit would continue to work in our lives to affect the change of conforming us more and more to the image of Christ as we continue to put our faith in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.